what happens when you put a rookie behind a microphone. We leave it muted and have a very nice greeting. Dave Rieger, Danielle, good afternoon to you, Friday the 22nd. Hello, Michigan. Thanks for having me back. Just had a nice conversation with uh, Paul W., wishing all of you a Merry Christmas and me a Merry Christmas. And we're off and running one more day this week, just a few days until Christmas. Rieger, did you see, uh, following up on our discussion from yesterday, that the Pistons did indeed lose their 25th game in a row last night? Yes, that was, um, you know, they were favored too. I don't know if they'll be favored the rest of the season. I mean, they were playing the other stinkiest team in the league, essentially. So they are one game away from tying the all-time record for most losses. I don't want to dwell on it. Saturday in Brooklyn against the Nets. Well, that'll be fun. Will they, t- will they tie the record? Doesn't matter because there's a great Lions game coming up Sunday. And True. Boy, the Vikings are a better team than people give them credit for. They got a heck of a defense. And, you know, this is the clincher for us. If they win this one, we, we get our spot. We win the division. I think that's pretty cool. It seems likely that it'll happen. Most of the experts are picking our Detroit Lions. But I think it'll be harder fought than uh, perhaps what has been suggested. It could be a close one, and it's a heck of a way to start Christmas Eve. Three and a half game, uh, three and a half, I'm sorry, three and a half point spread for this one. So I think it'll be close. Minnesota, by a by a far margin, blitzes the most out of any NFL team. Yeah, and they so, they, they they blitz um, with three or six. It's a it's a yeah. wild scenario. They, 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 they have. run a they run a they run a hybrid uh, they run a hybrid defense. So it's yeah. going to be very interesting to see what happens. Very cool. Um, we're going to have Lomas on later. I mean, we're yeah. going to ask him some questions. And you know, in, in twenty seconds or less, if we end up with the three seed and the L.A. Rams featuring uh, a, a Matt Stafford quarterback. Yes. Ends up in Detroit. Yes. Do you love that idea or hate I, it? I love the idea. Please. I think it'd be cool. I, I think it'd be please. cool if yes. I'm going to tell Lomas this too, and we'll see how it lands on him. I think it'd be cool if Matt Stafford comes back here for that game. He gets a standing ovation that lasts longer than it should for all of his hard work. And then we absolutely trounce the LA Rams in that first what round. A, that would be cool. What a great storyline for Matthew Stafford to come home yeah. against the Lions in the first home playoff game in 30 years that this whole city has been waiting for for months now. Yeah. we Listen, you and I decided yesterday night we were going to try and, and have kind of a light show today, some light hard stuff, some interesting stories, not just politics. I got a little stuff in there, you know, on the polit- – I can't get my political DNA out of my system, but we're going to have a, a fella on that's going to talk about a hiring trend – for what is this, a, a 10 or 20 year study, almost 12,000 people were involved in there. He's finding that, that better looking men do better than better looking women. And it's a really interesting discussion. I, I didn't know that it was going to be that interesting. So I think the listeners will get a kick out of that. Um, also, Jeff Manasso is going to join us after the break and get into a little bit about the Buick buyback program where, where GM essentially has been buying back some of these Buick dealerships. Because they're not really into selling EVs. They, they just see too much inventory, perhaps, and they say, oh, we're not, it's not viable for us right now, and we're a small store, whatever it might be. So that whole story is going to get some national attention, too, but it's especially um, you know, relevant here in Michigan. There's a lot of Buick stores around still. Yeah, that, if I, this story is, uh, is kind of, um, I was, we were talking about it off the air, about the popularity. You said that um, GM's got some pretty popular Buick brands. Well, I think Buick is the fastest growing of their brands in the last few years. I mean, a Buick is like a Chevrolet with a, with a nice suit on from Men's Warehouse. It's the same chassis. It's the, it's the same car. It's just a little bit more dressed up. There's some more gingerbread, as they call it, in, in the car business. But they're nice-looking vehicles. 
I think that, you know, I, I called a buddy of mine that, you know, used to be known as the King of Cadillac and they have a, a couple of Buick stores and I haven't really heard back from him in detail, but when we were chatting about it, he said, well, it's, it's hard because they're asking for such a big investment uh, for, for units that you might not even sell. If you have to spend a half a million dollars to get the equipment in to service these cars before you can sell them, but the ones you've had in aren't selling. That might not seem like the best deal. I think it probably makes a difference, Rieger. If you have a, a GM store that sells Chevy and Cadillac and Buick, you probably care a little bit less. But if you're only selling Buick and half that inventory coming in over the next few years is going to be EVs, I, I can see why that would be scary. But we'll, we'll talk to him. That's, an, Maybe inter- there's that's some an interesting point. I didn't even think about what you said at the beginning, which is you have to be able to service the EVs. Yeah, so and the chargers too. Like you yeah. have to have the chargers, the so charging to, banks, the charging. I didn't, I didn't repair. even. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. That is a. That's got to be a huge investment for the dealership. Yeah, you have to remember too, and this is. I have a lot of background in the car business with a lot of buddies in it. You. This is one of those weird things where I think folks don't recognize how little margin the new car sales outfits make relative to use. I mean, you can go out on the used market and you, you can wholesale something and buy it and sell it for thousands more than you bought it for. And you essentially capture that profit. When you're selling new cars, especially in Michigan, where so many people have family discounts, employee discounts, executive discounts, all kinds of rebates, returning customer rewards, the margins are really, really thin on new cars. So even if you're doing a couple hundred cars a month with, with a lot of good dealers are doing, you know, 250, 300 new cars a month, many of them are grossing less than a thousand dollars a piece to the dealer. Now these are, these are new car sales or new car leases. Well, it's the or same. Do, thing. Does it matter? Yeah. I don't think it really matters because they're okay. what's called floor planning. They're essentially borrowing the inventory on finance contracts from the manufacturer so and saying, they have to turn around and sell them. So you're saying they're making their money on the used car and the used car market. Always, always. Okay. And I mean, and then if that's changed, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to have someone tell me that, but I don't think that's the case. There's far more margin in used cars because you're controlling the level at which you buy them. The car's coming directly from GM. You have to sell them. Right. And if you're, if you're, if they're giving me EVs that are still relatively overpriced and the demand's not all that high and they're just going to sit on the lot, I'm paying finance charges to have them. It's a kind of a fascinating thing. Before we go to break, I was just listening to the end of all talk and then some some headlines. Biden, President Biden, is commuting sentences for uh, marijuana possession charges. And this is a really interesting one, especially after we you know we beat him up a little bit the last few days, and Trump too. I'm an equal beater upper, okay. But I kind of like this. If you have people sitting in prison for 8, 10, 12 years because they possessed marijuana, and now marijuana in so many states is legal, clearly this was not the, uh, the harbinger of, of danger that they, they once made it out to be. Right. Are you down with that? Do you think that that's appropriate? Like, yeah, get him out of prison. We see rapists go to prison for less years than, than marijuana possession you know, from 15 years ago. I mean, it makes sense because uh, it's, it's legal now. So, yeah, I mean. Yeah, I, if it's I'm, not a I mean, crime anymore. Yeah, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. Yeah, I have, I have no issue. So with that. I don't listen. I think that's a, a good move, especially and, and Kamala, Kamala Harris. She put a lot of people in prison when she was a, a district attorney or prosecutor for marijuana charges. And that was like a big beat against her, especially in the, in the African-American community where they thought this this woman is unfairly going after people on relatively you know, kind of ticky tack small charges putting them in the slammer for years. So that's kind of an interesting inner story. I don't know enough about her history, you know, other than the records that kind of came out originally, but you know, she put a lot of people in the slammer. Now he's, he's, he's getting them out. Right. 
Yeah. Interesting stuff. Jeff Manasso is going to join us after the break. Fill us in a little bit on this Buick thing. Don't go anywhere. That's going to be a good one. All right. We're off and running here. 1218. We're going to be waiting for Jeff Manasso to join us to talk a little bit about that, that Buick buyback program that General Motors had. And I think that's going to spur a larger conversation with the EV thing. We talked over this week about what might be the next single issue type vote, especially for Michiganders. And, and EV was the number one suggestion. We also had some obviously about immigration with, with pro-life stuff post Roe v. Wade being struck now off the table. What are those, those items that you're just absolutely upset about? And to Michiganders whose jobs may be on the line, this is one of those areas where it gets tricky. So Jeff Manasso finally can join us here, Fox News correspondent, WJR contributor. Jeff, welcome to the program. Always good to be with you. Merry Christmas. Likewise, likewise. There's a, a great couple articles, one in Fox Business that I'm referencing specifically about that buyback program in which uh, GM is offering to buy back the Buick license from these dealers who just don't want to undertake the cost of the equipment and so on and so forth, or maybe feel like the EVs aren't selling. Give us the, the Cliff Notes version of how that all is rolling out and what your perspective is on it. Yeah, so this is, this is to, to, you know, Buick has almost 2,000 dealers across the U.S., and about 1,000 of them are taking buyouts from GM that's offering the buyouts. So uh, it, it's, it's Buick dealers, uh, you know, pushing back against the EV mandate. Uh, and they say that look, you, you know, we're not we're not going to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars to retool and, and reprep our dealerships to sell EVs uh, as automakers comply with President Biden's EV mandates and GM's uh, plans to go all electric by 2035. Uh, so these dealers, you, you know, they're they're going to give up the Buick franchise. They could still sell other more profitable GM products, uh, but you know it. it there are questions that are now looming about the future of the auto industry if these dealers are, are, are doing this. Remember, dealers are, are, are you know, they're, they, they, they can pro- probably see the writing on the wall a little bit better than other businesses because of what happened sure. in 08 during the, the, the bailouts when, uh, you know, the auto bailouts, when, when uh, you know, Oldsmobile and, and Pontiac were forced to go by the wayside and all those dealers lost their, yeah. lost their franchises, lost their businesses. So perhaps they can see. Uh, what experts in the auto industry can't, the ones that say, yeah, this is the way of the future. This is where we're going. But look, you know, we've all seen electrics stack up on dealer lots. And we, we covered uh, the fact that 3,700 dealers across all auto brands of, uh, last month in an open letter to President Biden urged him to put the brakes on, on what they call an unsustainable and unrealistic EV mandate. Uh, consumers aren't buying them. And, Jeff, is and, there any, any indication of why this is specific to Buick? I mean, clearly Chevy is making some EVs. Cadillac certainly has EVs. Buick has been steadily growing and becoming more popular, almost chic to a degree. Over the they're last selling a lot of years. SUVs. Yeah, no, they're selling a lot of SUVs. But look, this is GM is offering the buyouts, and 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 the buyouts are still open to to other other dealers, and GM is. Is, is saying we're, we're comfortable with this. Buick is saying we're, we're okay with this. It allows us to, to run lean and green. And, and you know, even with these buyouts, uh, you know, most of the population of America is, is still within 25 miles of a Buick dealership. So it's going mm-hmm. to allow them to, to lean things up in terms of their, their business footprint. So uh, perhaps, perhaps it's the way of the future. Um, yeah. But, 
you know, just it just begs the question about, you know, I mean, consumers are really what drives the future of the auto industry, and consumers are, are, are screaming at the auto industry right now that they, that they prefer gas combustion engines by, you know, a margin of nine to one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens, uh, sure. you know. And, and, and Jeff, as you know, we're here, we're here in Michigan, where everybody knows somebody who's involved yeah. in the car car retail industry. Anyway, I have several buddies that are uh, GM dealers. Some of those stores, and I was talking to Rieger about this off the air. Some of those stores have multiple brands. There are Chevy, a Cadillac, and a and a and a mm-hmm. Buick store. Some of their only Buick stores. In all your research, did you see any correlation between the ones perhaps that were just Buick stores saying, "Well, if you're going to make us sell these things and we can't sell them, we're out of here." Versus ones that were just one of the brands under that store's umbrella. You know, we didn't we didn't get that close. You know, we were we're kind of taking a thirty thousand foot view of, of the story. We didn't go go that that close in, into it uh, in depth into you know each dealer's story. But it is telling that these dealers don't want to make that investment. Uh, they yeah. they would rather you know focus on other GM products, as you mentioned, and 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 so we'll see what happens. But um, you know the the future of of EVs. It's 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 not written down in stone just yet. You know there's this bombshell report from uh, Consumer Reports that revealed that EVs spur you know nearly 80 percent more problems for car owners than gas powered cars using traditional gas combustion engines. We know that the big three automakers are transitioning uh, billions of dollars out of EVs and more into hybrids. What's the difference? Well. People have that assurity that they'll they'll have gas combustion. Yeah, there's a way to get around. They, we just saw that headline. That range. In, yeah, we just saw the thing with in Maine where they had a large power outage for a long time, right? And all of a sudden, people are starting to really get scared. Like, well, if this power outage goes on for any length of time, I can't even go to work. So, yeah, Jeff and, and I, so thanks for thanks for your expertise as usual joining the program. This is this is one of those subjects that we really need to get you involved in. 800-859-0957. Um, if you feel like the EV may be the EV mandate specifically, maybe the beginning of the end for the auto industry as we know it, as a lifeline financially for the state of Michigan, give me your opinion on that. What are we missing in this conversation? Because I know plenty of people, if, if I was forced as any kind of merchandiser to put something in my store that I already had a hunch or I already had some, some idea that it just wasn't going to sell, I would say no. I, I have to buy this product or I have to finance this product to have it on my shelf in the first place. If it's not going to sell, I'm not in. Rieger, what do you say? Jeff may be on the phone. The <laughs> Dave, too. Well, the phones are already starting to ring. Yeah, sorry this about that. This is a really interesting one. That's okay. I mean, is it, am, I, am I entirely wrong on that point? I mean, don't you think if you're a local dealer and they're giving you, making you sell something, you have already seen evidence of the fact that it's just going to sit there for a while. Do you have the right to say no? Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, I, I know that, you know, when I went to uh, get a new lease the last time, it was uh, right before they started having the, uh, the the big inventory problems where everything flipped. And instead of pushing leases, they were pushing more used cars instead of new cars. So, yeah, if you're going to have stuff on your lot that's going to affect your inventory, then and then you know that's not going to sell, then you have the right to tell them that uh, you probably don't want to hold on to it. Yeah, and these are franchisees to a large degree, and I don't know, especially nationwide. I mean, I think a lot of us know that locally. But if I'm a Buick store or a GM store, I'm, I'm often, I'm not part of the brand. I'm just selling that brand's products. 
So it's not as if I'm just an extension of that. I mean, we see franchise models versus corporate models all the time in the restaurant business, for example, and in 12 Oaks Mall or wherever it is, you walk around and you say, well, you're a corporate store. You're selling inventory for the mothership. These people are selling the inventory of the mothership, but they own their business and they have to finance those cars. So when, and this is a really interesting thing, you know, General Motors is giving the dealer the cars on a, what's called a floor plan. And that floor plan says, we're going to give you these hundred cars and you can finance them 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. They have to have those cars sold because they're paying the interest on them while they sit there. They don't actually send them a check typically for the inventory itself. So they got to get the cars off the lot or it's just like, you know, gangsters running up the VIG on, an, on a past due debt. It can get really nasty really fast. So it's an interesting thing. Again, 800-859-0957, REVs, the beginning of the end. And Rieger, I want to tease something before we have to go to break. I've been thinking about this overnight. We talked yesterday, you and I and Danielle, about the frustration that Republicans have with Trump and, and just the, the, the nonsensical you know, circus going around. We, and, and also the Democrats having real frustration with, with President Biden saying, I'm going to be a bridge. Guess what I'm going to do at one o'clock? I'm going to give you the commencement address you're never going to hear for our perfect president. You ready for that? Right, because we were talking yesterday. You gave us two choices, and Danielle made her choice where I kind of was like, I want both. Yeah, I'm going to make you both happy, but it'll be the speech you'll never hear because we can't get somebody that good. All right, hang tight. Back in a few minutes. Yeah, look, I told you, as soon as we mentioned EVs, Rieger, the, the phones are going to light up. This That conversation is fascinating, I think, to us in Michigan more than everywhere else. But clearly, people are starting to feel the crunch on this in terms of the mandate. We, that, that headline of in from Maine, the state of Maine, was about to hold a vote. Uh, I think two days from now or a day from now, that headline was yesterday. Basically saying we want to do what they're doing in California, where by a certain date, every new vehicle sold has to be an EV. And then, of course, these wild storms that came up the coastline, tons of rain, high wind, left almost a half a million people without power for multiple days. And that vote now is indefinitely postponed. That's code for, you know what, we might not have thought this thing through. In fact, I had a conversation last night with my daughter's boyfriend, who is another car nerd, just like I am. We ended up talking about EVs, and I, I was telling him, look, I would, I would buy one. I would own one if it was just to go back and forth to the office or run over to Meyer or Kroger or whatever the case might be. But it would only be if it was a second vehicle. There is no way in the world I would be entirely dependent on one of those things unless you absolutely made me. And then I think we're, we're getting into totalitarian tor- territory. That's a tongue twister. Say that, Rieger. Totalitarian territory. It's a mouthful. Let's go out to the phones. Tom and Warren. Tom, your comments on EVs and the electric grid. What do you think? Yes, sir. Uh, good topic. You know, the manufacturers have been fairly ruthless with their dealers over the years, getting them to do what they want to do. I mean, the dealers in the past had to take dog models that weren't selling if they were going to get the models that were selling. And uh, like I say, so the the manufacturers would be enforcing their will that way. And then just like what you just mentioned in Maine, California wants to mandate electric cars, but they can't keep the lights on. And, of yeah. course, it makes you wonder why our Governor Whitmer claims that she's going to have all electric cars in the state-owned fleet uh, by 2030. Um, I don't think that's been thought through either, sir. 
Tom, I agree with you. We've had several conversations on this program, including from some people in the in the EV study market who are, are much more well kind of schooled on the process, the economic savings long-term, the ecological savings long-term. And when I debate them a little bit, I find myself behind the eight ball because they have so much data and so much information, but still it goes back to some very fundamental questions. If you ask somebody who's a potential EV owner, okay, how do you power your car? Electricity. Where does that electricity come from? The grid. Where does the grid get the power from? Almost all the time, the answer is fossil fuels. So, you know, Tom, if you're still on the line, when was the last time you saw anybody excited about buying a hybrid anymore? It's either an EV or a gas car. No, I, I think you're right. And, uh, yeah, like you say, it's nine times out of ten, it's still coal. And even natural gas, you know, they convinced uh, Detroit Edison to go to natural gas. And what did that do? But it raised uh, everybody else's natural gas bill uh because of the, the, the demand on natural gas. 100%. Yeah, well, good point. Hey, Bruce, at Sterling Heights. What's going on, Bruce? Hey, what's going on, guys? Good program. Uh, I just had a story about uh, a friend of mine, three-year-old car, does the start-stop at the light, you know, the fancy energy-saving yeah. thing. All of a sudden, it wasn't starting right, took it into the dealer. Only $650 to replace the battery on a standard car. Because of the stop start feature, you mean? Exactly. It's a special battery. Hmm. Well, you know what, Bruce? That's an interesting. <laughs> and, 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 I never a really Tesla, thought about that. and a Tesla in ten years. The I, I spoke to my mechanic about it, and he said, "Bruce, I got to pay three hundred and seventy-five dollars for that battery. So you got to hmm. realize it's going to cost you." But he said, "I also got a notice on the Teslas that in ten years, that battery is going to be about seventeen grand." So, Bruce, I have a client of mine who is a is a really interesting woman. She's very, very bright. She's, she's done a heck of a good job in her career, made a bundle of money. And she decided to buy herself one of the Tesla SUVs, the little one with like kind of the wing style doors that go up, right? A la mm -hmm. uh, Marty McFly. And I didn't realize this until she told me the story because I said to her, and this is not that long ago, how do you like your little Tesla? And she said, oh, I love it, except. And I said, what's the except? You know, dot, dot, dot. She said, well, I was in the car wash about a week ago, and I was in line. There were six or eight cars behind me. There was two or three in front of me before I could actually go through the car wash, and the car shut down. It started restarting. Now, this is, like, essentially what happens with your computer. When something glitches or crashes, you have to, like, hit reset and wait for the thing to reboot and start over again. So she goes, here I got, I got one door up, and the thing is going into reboot mode, and for seven or eight minutes, she said, I just had to sit. Wow. The people are honking at me. I feel foolish, <laughs> embarrassed. She's like, I can't do anything. I can't start the car. I'm so, 60 years an electrician, and I can tell you one thing about electronics. It'll fail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, listen, I have that stop start button on my car. I, I've long been a car nerd, both American cars and, and especially German cars and sports cars and things. The first thing I do in my car when I pull out of my driveway is I shut the stop start feature off. That's recommended I, by a lot of mechanics. <laughs> what, to shut it off, you mean? Exactly. Yeah, listen, if that saves me three tablespoons worth of gas because it shuts itself off for a quick second at a stoplight, I don't care about that 18 cents worth of gas because it shuts off when I go over a speed bump and slow down too much. It shuts off when I come to a stop sign. It kind of feels schizophrenic, like I'm out of control, and I don't like that. Hard, hard push to save $650 worth of gas in three years. 
I'm with you, Bruce. Thanks for the call, my friend. Listen, Rieger, this this uh, this EV thing. I don't. Why can't we just go back to the hybrid concept? Because they were doing it really well for a while. If you remember when the Volt first came out, that that was kind of like the, the first foray into that. But BMW and Hyundai and Chevy, and I mean, there's so many companies that have cars that legitimately accelerate under fossil fuel under real unleaded gas, and then they convert up to speed into a regurgitating engine that's constantly rebuilding new power every time you hit the brakes. What is the problem with that? Nobody seems to know the answer to this question. Like that should be the mandate. I forever and always will not understand that particular thing. If you're going to throw the entire industry into a tailspin, force dealers to sell cars that they don't really believe that people want to buy. And the, the, What Manasso said, I think, is fascinating is these dealers, they do have their finger on the pulse of what the consumer wants. This is another perfect example, I think, of bureaucracy in Washington telling businesses all across the country, but in our case, Michigan, here's what you need to be selling. And they're saying, yeah, but I'm a private business. you're, You're making me sell something that I can't sell because people don't want it. And even if they do want it, it's not necessarily affordable or viable. It's a really interesting conversation. Does anybody in the WJR studio own an EV? Maybe there's different perspective on this. I don't get. I just don't know. And I don't know that many friends who have them either. I mean, honestly, big enough, uh, one that's big enough to carry kids in groceries, one that has enough range to go up north, let's say, or down to Cedar Point or, or something along those lines. I haven't seen that in quite a long time. And what do you do about the, in the truck market? These trucks, if you want to buy an EV truck, good grief, how much is that? Well over a hundred grand. I don't know. It's a tangled web we weave. Does the government really have any business based on climate mandating that everyone only sells one kind of thing, whether or not it actually helps the climate? And that debate, we've had that before. And next time, you know, in a couple of weeks when I'm back on, we'll have that fellow on again from the EV Institute because that part of the conversation is super interesting. We never really get clear cut information on that. If my break-even point owning an EV is 80,000, 90,000 miles in terms of the ecological load I'm putting out there, the carbon load going into the air versus what it took in terms of lithium mining and everything else to manufacture that car, how does that work? And are EVs just first, and then we're going to start making all the stores over a certain amount of square footage be solar-powered? A lot of things we just don't know. And that's a scary thing. And we're the government experts on this. Who knows? I wonder if Paul W. has an EV. That doesn't seem like they'd be up his alley. He seems like more of a, a Mustang guy with a big loud exhaust or something. All right, we'll be back after the break. We're going to get into that conversation about men versus women, better looking versus maybe more unfortunate looking in the workplace and what that equates to. Well, everybody, welcome back in. It is it is Friday, and we would be remiss if we didn't have at least a couple fun, a couple weird, a couple wacky stories in here. This one's not really weird or wacky, but it certainly is interesting to think about. There is a new study out that says men, not women, are more likely to benefit from their good looks in the workplace. It's kind of a fascinating topic. Hiring expert and the president of CMP, Joe Frodsham, is joining us all the way from Dallas, Texas. Joe's done quite a bit of research here, and... Joe, I got questions, man, but let's let, let me get the overview from you first. How did this whole thing shake up? Where did it come from? And what does it really mean? Yeah, this was a longitudinal study done by a Polish university, but it was participants largely from the United States, over 11,000 of them. And over 18 years, 18 years ago, they had quantified how attractive they were. They actually had a, a whole independent kind of empirical process to identify attractiveness. 
And then they mapped it as far as uh, did attractiveness predict career success as measured by career progression and satisfaction and pay. And what they found is there was a positive correlation that the more attractive you are, the, the um, on average, better you progressed and better you were paid in organizations through 18 years of work and career progression, uh, which was, I think, fascinating and very consistent with some other, a lot of other research that shows there really is a beauty bias, that beautiful people have a halo effect. People tend to think they're smarter, better, want to spend more time with them and reaffirm them more. Mm-hmm. Is there, was there any, I, I don't know how you would do it, but was there any correlation study between attractiveness and also in performance, any kind of empirical performance markers that might have said, you know what, they just happenstantially happen to be better looking, but they're also better at what they're doing? They actually didn't. What they found is that people were more forgiving of failures and mistakes if you were attractive. Um, but, but there wasn't any kind of that you were actually a higher performer if you were attractive, just that you're, they're more forgiving and you were rewarded more in the organization. Now, you're right. It's a really good question, though, because, you know, theoretically, you could say someone's more confident. You know, there's a lot of hypotheses that would say maybe they just perform better, but they didn't find that in the study. It, you know, all else being equal, attractive people do better. Now, as you may know, there is a little bit of an interesting nuance there that attractive men did better than attractive women. So there was a beauty bias across both genders that attractive men actually benefited more from being attractive than women, which was a surprising insight, actually. Yeah. What kind of, was there any margin that was measurable there between the two? I mean, is a big jump between attractive men and attractive women, or was it relatively close? It's about a, about a 20% difference, um, you know, on their scale and their, you know, as they kind of quantified career progression and pay and that sort of thing. So yeah. that's meaningful. It was a meaningful difference. And, you know, a lot of studies have shown that, you know, again, there's a beauty bias regardless of gender, but that women sometimes have some added baggage where there's some jealousy and some other attribution as far as who they are, and, you know, whether they should be appreciated for the beauty more than men. So they have some of that, the, the peer pressure and issues that men don't. Like, in other words, many times women who are at the same level will... Um, hold another woman's looks against her, whereas men tend not to do that if there's an attractive. Yeah, of course. You know, this, one of the things that just jumped into my mind, and it may be a little bit off the wall, but from a hiring standpoint, certainly in any kind of, of facing forward sales style of industry, if I was a potential employer and I'm reading this study, it may just be reaffirming biases that I already have. I mean, like what the best looking, smartest, best talking people out there. But from a hiring standpoint, of course, you really are not supposed to be hiring people purely based on looks unless you're in a business that's, you know, marketing looks themselves. So what kind of dangerous territory does that them into where there may be behind the scenes then um, some unfair hiring practice? Oh, I mean, what it shows is they're just hiring is wrought with bias, right? Without any checks and balances and empiricism, we all tend to hire ourselves, people who look and think like us. Uh, which is kind of the worst thing you can do. And what we found, I mean, it, the research shows it, and I've seen it just, just from every day as we fill thousands of roles every year, is what I've found is that our, our decisions are never as rational as we'd like them to be, right? They tend to be much more emotional. People within five minutes know whether they like someone or not. And if they like them, find them attractive, appreciate them, want to spend time with them, they'll look for reasons to hire them. If they don't like them, don't think they'll fit, don't 
think they're you know someone they want to spend time with, they're going to look for reasons not to hire him. Like, hey, they're not a cultural fit, or I don't think they'll work well within the team, or I just didn't connect. They'll come up with sometimes really, you know, really, really wishy-washy reasons, but nonetheless reasons to not hire the person. So our, our decision-making is much more emotive than we'd like it to be. And the degree to which you can, you know, kind of fight against that through critical behavior interviewing, being more empirical, looking at the requirements of the role versus kind of who you like and don't like, looking for your opposite, people who will compliment you, not just agree with you. Those sorts of things are really important. Otherwise, bias will always come in. Yeah. Sure. And I guess, you know, lastly, the thing that crossed my mind, and it may not contain this, but was there any kind of cross-sectional work done in terms of the industries themselves? I mean, from, from sales to manufacturing to engineering, or is it just a broad study? There's 11,500 11, people. It's quite, quite a large sample over a long period oh, of time. It's huge. Yeah, it's huge. You know, I didn't see an industry breakout. I think that would be really good to see if they could run the data that way. Because, I, I, you know, is there a difference between professional services versus manufacturing versus, you know, male-dominated versus female-dominated industries? Certainly, if you're PR, law, you'd have more, more women versus construction, right? It would be more men. All of that would sure. be really nice. I have not seen them run the data by industry. What we do know anecdotally is, you know, obviously if you're a sales customer facing roles, you know, attractiveness is seen as, as a benefit. But beyond that, there really hasn't been research at Epson. Yeah. Well, Joe, I tell you, anecdotally, I'm in the finance industry and in the, in the planning part of our industry. And I know quite a few women who are incredibly successful in, in my industry, and I've heard them say at times, if they find themselves in front of a man and a woman, often, to, you know, in the retiree market, especially 50 and up, they, they will really focus on trying to speak to the wife almost, almost entirely because they're so worried that if they direct a lot of their attention towards the husband, that creates some kind of rift. And they, oftentimes they find themselves without a second or a follow-up appointment. So it is a strange dynamic because I never, I've never heard a man say that. Yeah, that's interesting. Is there's a lot of sensitivity to that? I think when you look at the male-female, man-woman kind of married dynamic, and and I'm sure you know there's a lot of reasons for that. As I shared before, where they say women don't do as well because of looks, because there is a peer competition aspect of it. Yeah, I think that you see that playing out in what you just said, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. real sensitive good stuff. To that. That's. That's a really that's a really interesting thing to think about, Joe. Thanks for filling us in, Joe Fradsham. Everybody, uh, we'll be back in just a few minutes. And if you want to give us your comments or thoughts on this, eight hundred eight five nine zero nine five seven. Here we are at the fifty yard line, Friday, right before our Christmas. And as much as I teased about my my commencement address, my commencement speech that you'll never hear, which I I promise I will do. I'm a promise keeper. We're gonna have to bump that back to the next segment. Just because this EV conversation is never ending and the, and the lines have been full. And as I've been saying all along, 800-859-0957. What we don't want to do is have people call, take their time, have something to share with our community and not get to the, not get to the phone. So let's go out to those phones. Carl from Troy. What's going on, Carl? Hey, good afternoon, Chris. Doing a good job for Paul. Thank uh, you. My background is I've worked for major utility and auto industry and I'm a retired electrical engineer mm -hmm. and what I want to point out is not being said is that things are designed with a duty cycle some things you know you can't run them all the time they're designed to cool off and that is the way with the whole grid in the United States major okay. components called transformers 
are designed for a certain period of hours of usage, after which they have to cool down. The grid is never designed for a 100% duty cycle. You don't design anything for a 100% duty cycle, right. you know, unless you have to, because there's an expense for that. So we have a problem with the, the grid being said, okay, we're going to use it beyond the duty cycle it was designed for. This is a major, major issue. And yeah, we're Carl, seeing listen, glimmer, you know what's so interesting about your phone call too is, and I've touched on this before, about four years ago, the Department of Defense, the DOD, produced a very, very long report, essentially saying that the power grid itself in the United States was the biggest point of vulnerability for terrorism. Nothing else was even close to the degree that it was it was so antiquated and had so many holes in it in terms of its vulnerabilities that should a terrorist group of any kind figure out a way to shut down part of the of the major power grid, essentially we would have ravishing amounts of death and starvation within about 30 days. So it is really interesting to Carl's point that the government now is mandating everyone use these cars. Not, not right off the bat. There's a phase-in period. But even so, how can we possibly do something that's reliant on the power grid when the power grid is so overdue to be restructured, rebuilt, and, and protected purely from a national security standpoint? It's an absolute mystery to me. Matt and Adrian, how goes it, Matt? I'm good, Chris. Um, you ask why... Isn't uh, hybrids a little bit more popular or we're satisfied with them? Okay. Uh, the personal opinion, it's a three-part answer. Um, first of all, it doesn't satisfy the green lobbyists enough. It's not a hard enough push towards that direction. Um, second of, it, it, it doesn't push enough of our American money towards the China industries that own the majority of the products and parts that we, we need for um, those battery parts. I think this is purely political. And the third part is is that certain politicians of us that have a very certain letter after their name, and I'll just say that it comes first or fourth in the alphabet, actually, um, they can never go backwards on anything that they've started. They, they can't uh, they have ever admit that, you know, this isn't a good thing. Let's, let's just back off on it. All right, Matt. Listen, I think your point is kind of intriguing. The, the first one I agree with. I don't think that the, the green people, the, the people who are totally emotionally committed to climate change will ever agree that enough is enough. They're not going to see a hybrid as the solution. But the second one I don't under, quite understand, unless I just misheard you. Why would we care about how much business we're sending to China? I think everyone's been pretty clear about wanting to take business away from China. We'll agree with you. The problem is there's too many of the politicians that are, are in bed and make money from China, and, and they just push more of that towards them. They, 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 they all make money off of that. From right. what I understand and what I see and, and read and hear about people that are in bed with China, there's just no reason for them other than it's a money thing to push more of our um, demand that we need um, to buy stuff from China. Got it. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate your, your input. Uh, let's get out to Jamie in Coquallen, Michigan. Jamie, did I say that right? Uh, it's Coquallen. Up, we're up north, about 100 miles north of Detroit. 
but uh, yeah. And how does the how strong is that signal up there? Do I sound okay to that? Not too bad. During the day, it's okay. You know, I mean, I got my choice talk radio kind of between you guys and there's WSGW here, which is quite a bit stronger. But I don't care for who's on in the afternoon, so I talk listen to you guys. But anyway, I'm winning winning one uh, northerner over at a time. You know, what's so? What's on your mind? Yeah, I just want to speak quickly about you know the electric vehicles and. And I'm, I'm still, I struggle to understand what or who in the government or how the government is forcing dealers to sell electric vehicles. Because I just don't see that. I don't think anybody's being, anybody's being forced to do anything. I do think there's some incentives out there by the government. There has been on and off to buy electric vehicles, and I understand that. But, but my feeling is let the market forces take over. If people want electric vehicles, they'll buy electric vehicles. If they don't want them, they won't buy them, and that'll be the end of it. I think we've made a big political thing out of this when it doesn't need to be political. It should just be let the market do it. So that's Well, then I think, Jamie, that's the, exactly the point, and why so many people are upset that the Biden administration has even tried to implement a mandate for anything, because you're right. The free market will decide those kinds of things. I mean, it's not the big three's fault. GM, Ford, and, and Chrysler slash Stellantis, that they're coming out with these vehicles right. now because they're trying to get ahead of the curve. But the reality is if exactly. people just don't want to buy them, it's kind of irrelevant, which is why this Buick story is so interesting. If I'm a Buick dealer and I'm saying, look, I, stop, I'd rather just take the buyout money and go retire in a little house up in Coquitlam because you can't make yeah. me sell something that I can't, I don't have any customers for. That's abject exactly. insanity on the part of the, of the federal government. But that, again, it yeah, happens I, in my industry. It happens in commerce. It's certainly happening in agriculture. When bureaucracy people who don't have any real thorough background in the economics of, of specific industries start to create mandates to please the climate people, for example, in this particular example, everything's going to fall on its face. Yeah, no one has yeah, been I, able I to empirically improve this. I, I agree with you. Let, just let the market deal with it. If, if, I mean, a lot of people buy Teslas. I mean, they're hugely successful. So maybe that's sure. a good car. I don't know. But uh, everybody kind of jumped in trying to get in, you know, you know, and I understand that. They want to make sure if it, it happens, they want to be part of it. But just let, it, let we don't need to make a political thing out of this. Just let the market yeah. do it. I appreciate that, Jamie. If you've never driven a Tesla, I can tell you exactly what it's like. It's like being in the hospital for an afternoon. Everything is white and sterile and odd, and it doesn't quite sound right, and everything feels and smells funky. It's a cool car, but I don't want to be in the hospital. Dave in Rochester, what's happening, pal? Uh, yeah, I, I agree. The free market. Let's get free market people on. Talk about the talk about insurers. Get property insurers on. Tell them tell them what the cost of uh, climate change is the fact that United States, by far and away, was the top 40 countries, top 33 countries with a population of 40 million, put more carbon per capita out there. There's no mandate on electric vehicles. That's a government thing, the 14-year uh, one that Biden put out in 2021. If you want to talk about emissions, yeah, there's, there's, there's emission controls, but uh, what's, the, what's the right wing solution? Or, the, or is it just denial of CO2 in the uh, atmosphere? 
I don't know that the right wing needs a solution to a problem that hasn't been quantified to the level that you're speaking of. And I think that's half the issue. No one ever has been able to really figure this out. We might all look pretty foolish 30 years from now when the planet starts cooling and we'll have another ice age, perhaps. I teased about my commencement speech. Thanks, Dave. We'll be back in just a few with Chris Alberta's presidential commencement speech. How fun will that be? All right, welcome back in. Lively discussion on the EV thing. And um, the EV thing lights up the phone so much that we have to make room for for everything else. I'm a proud keeper. As I said, we have Lomas Brown coming up to talk lions. We're going to do the, the typical Friday movie review at the end. But as we teased a little bit and had some fun with, we had a discussion yesterday, Dave Rieger and Danielle about what the perfect president would look like, which I think was kind of interesting because there's so much disenfranchisement on both sides of the fence. So I decided this morning, I was thinking about this last night and I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be a complete smart aleck and write my own commencement speech as if I was elected president. And I'm titling this thing, you ready guys? The commencement speech you'll never hear. What do you think? I love it. I'm all for it. This is the kind of idea that can get you never invited back, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Yeah. All right, and I have to do it in my most presidential voice and then afterwards you can give me your feedback. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Dave? Dave, you're scared, aren't you? I I am, I am scared actually. You you should be. I, I hope Paul's listening to this. My dear Americans, I stand here today in both awe of the opportunity that you have granted me, but humbled by the prospect of leading us forward. While a majority may have shown their faith in my leadership, a vast amount of you did not. It's to those citizens that I speak first. I respect you. We may see the needed path for our country and the best form of its governance differently, but I promise you you'll find me and my cabinet to be respectful of your wishes, careful and deliberate with any policy changes that divide the masses equally and open to discussions at all times. I will not dictate to you what your value should be, how your conviction should fall, or even suggest that a disagreement is anything less than your passion for our country's future path. To those who suggest that America herself has seen its best days, and is mired by the entanglements of foreign interests, of corporate influence, of social and racial inequalities and the like, to you I say this, none of these are uniquely American problems, but they all have uniquely American solutions. Kindness, strength, and equity. We will no longer spill your tax money from our vaults, showering it across the globe, while our own checkbook remains so wildly unbalanced. Other than a humanitarian crisis that we have moral obligations to bring aid to, we are done spending your money on anything other than the bare essentials for infrastructure, for national security, and for necessary entitlement programs for those American citizens unable to work due to disability or unfortunate circumstances. We will immediately stop any and all attempts to harvest your private information from all corporations and media mediums that seek it. We will practice what we preach and put strict limits on surveillance measures and abjectly, abjectly criminalize any violation of your privacy. Any company, whether foreign or domestic, that designs digital programs addictive in nature only to quietly gain access to your life as a consumer will be banned from doing business in these United States. We will encourage and enforce fairness and equity of opportunity across all of our American brothers or sisters. Regardless of their race, faith, or sexual persuasion, the progress we have made over the last 50 years should not be squandered 
nor should it be said that it never existed. America is in the opportunity business, not the outcome business. We are all responsible for our own successes and failures, and we continue to build pathways for success. We will forever end apologizing for what at our worst times we were, but be proud of who we are now. And I will demand that at all levels of leadership, we conduct ourselves with professionalism and dignity. We serve at your pleasure. If we continue to speak divisiveness into reality, it will only splinter our country further. Our parties exist to challenge one another as allies, not to point to the other as an enemy. Our border will once again be secure. And we will demand that South American countries are held accountable for enabling illegal, illegal immigration. They also do little to curtail the insidious cartels that plague our southern border. That will be over. In turn, we will embark on the most robust legal immigration program we've had since the early 1900s. Just like your forefathers who risked everything to start a new life, we will slowly, carefully, and responsibly give others that same gift, the one you enjoy today. We will take back our manufacturing from global threats. We have become dependent on their substandard products and merchandise while depleting our own job market and putting a chokehold on economic growth right here. We can be, and we will be, self-sustainable and proud to produce our own products. Lastly, remember this. As of today, I am no longer a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Catholic president or a president of a certain race or ideological persuasion. I've been elected to be an American president. And I will ask you to hold me to the highest standard at every turn. We may not always agree, but we should always be at peace with one another. And I promise to listen to you, to respect you, and to govern fairly, not impose the will or the ideology of my party. We go forth today knowing that our successes will be directly tied to our strengths, our willingness to carefully consider change, and our ability to be resolute as citizens of the kindest, the freest, and the most opportunity-oriented country in the world. Thank you for letting me lead. Do we have an applause button on this radio station? I feel like I just sat through the state of the state. Wow, talk about overdoing it, you guys. Hey, listen, here's my question. If I can do that in probably 30 minutes at my keyboard, why can't any of these buffoons in D.C. do that in four years? Your speechwriters are not obviously as good as you. Okay, we don't need empty platitudes, rigor. <laughs> like, I have a fan club of three, right? You guys and my mom. That was good. You see how, it, it, I mean, honestly, you can say whatever you want. And this is where I think that conversation really spins out of control. When we talk about what we want from our politicians, what do we really want? Stop trying to be fancy. Do we want to, do we want... Do we want stuff to get done or do we want to hear what we want to hear? I think I that, want both. I think I, yeah. I agree. I mean, that's not, that's not too much to I agree. ask because you're asking for one person out of 334 million to have the chops to say it and do it. This is not like, this is not lottery odds. These people have an obligation. This is what drives me so crazy about that entire thing. We had a nice conversation with Tom Barrett yesterday, who I think is a is a winner. He's a really, really good guy. And there's good guys on both sides and good gals, really, on both sides of the aisle. 
But why is it that we can't have one person? You remember when John McCain was running against Obama? Are you guys old enough for that? I do remember that. Yeah, I remember. Mm-hmm. When you think back to how ridiculous this sounds when you look at it in retrospect. John McCain was a prisoner of war. He was a longtime war hero. He was a multi-decade senator that penned, written, had written most of the, the, the best bipartisan policy that ever really hit the floor. He runs for president in his, what, late 60s, early 70s. This is a guy that had every one of those corners built out. He could speak to the public. Everybody respected him. He got along well with everyone on the other side of the aisle. He had earned the right to say, after all I've been through and all I've done for this country, I want my chance to be its leader. Who did he lose to? He lost to Obama. He lost to Obama. A one-term senator with no experience, who'd done nothing essentially but vote present instead of taking sides on anything. I remember but what he, was he, Obama? I remember he took some hits, too, uh, during that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Obama was a fabulous orator. He's a handsome guy. He's super well-spoken. Kind of goes back to the, uh, to the interview you had last hour. Yeah. All you want is both. Why can't we just have it all, you guys, one time? Give us one version of having it both ways. Okay, I'm done being heavy. Merry Christmas to everybody. Lomas Brown's joining us after the break. Let's talk Lions, roar into the playoffs, and win something for once. All right, all right. I'm done being president, at least for this next segment. It's hard being president. I actually found myself a little bit anxious trying to deliver that speech. I'm better at writing than I am at talking it, I think. Well, you know what I'm super excited about, you guys back there? I am excited to sit down Christmas Eve and watch my Detroit Lions continue to find themselves in not only in the hunt, but deep in the heart of what could be a fabulous playoff run. And on the other end of the line, probably my favorite guest to have on the show, nasty number 75, Lomas Brown. How are you, Lomas? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? <laughs> Dude, I love having you on. You're so much fun. Did you Good like, day. did you Good have... <laughs> Thanks, pal. We're like just birds of a feather, you know? You're better looking, yeah. but I'm a better athlete. <laughs> hey, do, did you sigh a breather relief last week watching this absolute throttling they put on the Denver Broncos? I mean, after a few weeks of looking a little crooked and, and, and flimsy, they, they roared back. I mean, that was like exactly what we needed to see. They still got it. Yes, that was perfect. You're right. I think that cured a lot of ills. I think that relaxed a lot of nerves. I think that calmed a lot of people down. People could take a woosah moment after that game because you're right. That To me, I think that was probably the most complete victory that I've seen this year from the team from start to finish, uh, offense, defense, special teams, um, coaching, I, I, I thought they played a complete game and the type of game that you have to be playing this time of the year right now. This when the cream yeah. rises to the top. This when you're going to get the best of the best. So you have to be playing at your best to be able to compete with these teams uh, sure. that we have left and these teams that we're possibly going to face late on in the postseason. Right. And despite what everyone has said, you know, the, the, the critics especially, they pop their heads out and they say, I told you so, it's an SOL type of deal. We have seen, especially at the end of last season, but all this season too, when our offense is clicking, 
they're as good as anybody in the National Football League. And all three phases have not all come together. But is it just me or did it look like that defense that had really been getting beat up? They were so fast to the ball, Lomas. They looked like they were maniacs. Is yeah, it, was it just me or is that how it seemed to no, you too? No, uh-uh, no, you're right. Everybody was playing downhill on defense, meaning everybody was getting to the ball. It wasn't just one guy making tackles. It was swarms of guys uh, making tackles. The other good things, I don't think we had any missed assignments. So the, any right. glaring missed assignments that cost us big, you know, so that's a good thing. Guys seem to be executing. We we changed our defense a lot, too. So we did some different things. So that means that guys picked up the new defenses or the new nuances of the defense, and that means they executed it to the up team. You know, so it, it was just, yes, it was refreshing. It was great to see because you're right, our defense had been beat up those last couple of weeks. But it was good to see them take a major step forward. And that Denver game, that was a major step forward going against Sean Payton and Russell Wilson. Yeah, Lomas, before we get into Vikings, obviously this is something that I can only speculate about, but you you, you know, usually know the pulse of this deal. Between Campbell and Aaron Glenn, did they make a conscious decision to suddenly start really rushing the blitz from the from the intermediate and the secondary? I mean, we haven't really seen that all year, and it's been a point of criticism. It seemed like they were absolutely terrifying Russell Wilson. Hey, great observation, my good man. You're so right. He did. Aaron Glenn turned up the pressure, and you're right. It was uh, because we have been using, if you notice, the, the prior week, we have been using a lot of inside blitzes, A-gap blitzes, B-gap blitzes, and you normally do that with your linebackers. So, as you remember, Alex Anzalone had a stretch of the season where he was just getting to the quarterback and he was making big plays. That's because we were blitzing from the inside. Now you see Aaron Glenn, he swings it up, and you see a lot of the outside blitzes now, meaning coming off the edge. And most of the time when you send edge rushers, that's normally going to be your cornerbacks, your safeties, your nickels. That's going to be guys like that. And that's what you're seeing now. You're seeing Tracy Walker. You're seeing Brian Branch. Uh, you're seeing all these guys getting in and getting opportunities to rush the quarterback or being sent on blitzes to the quarterback. Yeah. And what that does, that just throws the, the opposing offenses so many different looks that they have to prepare for. So it's great to see Aaron Glenn doing what he's doing. I agree. That was fun to watch. Okay, we have probably two and a half minutes or so left. I have two questions for you. And and one, I think, is going to be more fun than the other. First is, this <laughs> Vikings team is better than people are giving them credit for, despite the fact that they've waffled around a little bit. they got a heck of a defense. This is going to be a tough test, isn't it? Absolutely. A divisional fold, too. Don't forget about that. A team that's familiar with us and familiar with each and every player on the team. So, you know, it's not too many things you could do differently against a guy that's been going against you for the last several years. So, yeah, those are always dangerous games. Plus, it's a road game. So, you know that the crowd noise is going to play into the game. So, that might limit us a little bit on the sure. offensive side of the ball. Yeah, and we've been we've been better on the road than anybody expected, and that's an indoor game. They shouldn't have a lot of problem 
you know, dealing with that environment. Let me ask you, let me, I promised Rieger I would throw this at you because I, I picture this environment where all the stars align and our good buddy, Matt Stafford comes back to Detroit Ooh. and he you want stands drama, there. You? you want drama. <laughs> You he stands there in that Rams. This is Lomas. This is what I picture, bro. He stands there in that Rams uniform, and they give him his own little mini introduction. And he stands there for a minute while for 60 or 70 seconds, we give him a standing ovation for how many times he was beat up, cracked up, shoved down, made fun of, ridiculed in the media while putting up almost more yards than anybody else had in that same time frame. And then we just mm-hmm. go ahead and absolutely crush the Rams okay, in the Detroit Lions house. What do, you th- what do you think? Do you, do like, you like that. that scenario? I love that. I love that script right there, man. Let's send it in to Disney, boy. Let's get Prime Video to jump on that right away. They did a great job with Bye Bye Barry, so they can make this one a, a fairy tale I'm in the right now. I love it. I love it. Listen, Michael, I know you weren't, on the, you weren't on the horn for this, but in the last segment, I was president of the United States. In this particular statement, <laughs> I would like to put myself as – the general manager of communications for the Detroit Lions. And if that happens okay. to happen, let's you pass it along. You say Alberta wants Stafford to get a good standing O. We'll show him some love, and then we'll rip his helmet off and send him home crying. Can we do that? All right. I, and what's the other part? You want to be what? what what's your role? I'm general manager, director of communications. I don't know. I just, okay. I think I that sometimes – in, in the NFL, more than any other sports league, sometimes there's just some weird sense of all the stars aligning and some of the rights become wrongs. And there's a little bit of, um, you know, there's nothing like a redemption story, even for Jared Goff, who's become a kind of a hometown hero. Good for him. Absolutely. And to do it against the guy that was here, you know, and stuff. So, yeah, that would be great. I love it. And like you said, as long as we end up kicking their butt, I love this story, and I love the ending. Lomas, one question for you. If that happens, I want to know how many Detroit Lions fans are going to bring back out their Detroit Rams T-shirts when the Rams were in the Super Bowl, and they were taking credit for that, for Matthew Stafford. Yeah, you know, hey, man. Look, how many, they, how many they, T-shirts are we going to see in the stands when, oh, if that happens? It'll be a lot. They, they were loyal. You know how loyal our fans are, man. Once a lion, always a lion. I don't care. Once Amen. you bleed, Rieger, get that there, nonsense bleed, you will always bleed. Yes, sir. <laughs> fair weather. Lomas, it's okay. Rieger's kind of a fair weather Broncos fan yeah. anyway. Forget about Go, his nonsense. Hurt. Lomas, let's talk, let's talk next week after the game, my man. Thanks for coming Absolutely. on. Appreciate that. We're going to look forward to a victory. Back in just a brief few minutes after the break, we're going to get into the movies of the weekend before we send it off for a nice, warm Christmas. with No snow on the ground. Well, thanks for spending the day with me. And by the way, if you haven't been to the D Motown Deli at 3750 Gratiot near Mount Elliott and Gratiot, now is the time. Did you know that they serve Wiggly's famous Eastern Market corned beef? Get a quarter pound corned beef sandwich made to order or splurge and order the one pound monster. Watch the D Motown Deli work their corned beef magic on Instagram at D Motown Deli. And with that, we welcome in Greg Russell, movie show plus guest. Talk us through the movies of the week, one for streaming and one in the theaters. Greg, how goes it, pal? Doing well, Chris. Happy holidays to you and yours. Good to hear you. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you as well. So what's on tap this weekend? Well, uh, Biggie, uh, the color purple, uh, they redid it. I don't want to say remade it, but they redid it. This time it's the musical uh, based off of the 
uh, award-winning play that they had in New York. So it is the same story. And this time you've got Fantasia Barino. She plays Celie, who, as you all remember, was the main character, the woman who had just gone through so much in her life, but through good friends and determination was able to make her way out. Yeah. And I, that's been so, so long. I mean, it was an abusive husband, so on and so forth, and economically really depressed family. Is that right? Right. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And the thing is, uh, like I said, the first one came out about 30 years ago. It's still a favorite of a lot of people. And at first I kept wondering, Chris, it's like, you're going to turn this into a musical. And you know how it is sometimes you go see a movie and they turn it into a musical where all of a sudden a song comes out of nowhere and you're like going, why? In this one, all the songs fit where they come in. It is a part where the people start singing and it's like, yeah, this is appropriate. Has there been, Greg, some acclamation on the music side? Much like we've seen a lot of this. I mean, besides Cats, most of these later productions that have been musical oriented have been smash hits. I mean, I have two daughters that were in musical theater and they love this stuff. Oh, for sure. For sure. Because, yeah, like you said, especially those who are in musical theater. Also, you know, when you see it on stage, that even adds something more to it. I mean, it's almost like another part of the person, you know, just singing their soul and putting it out there. So, yeah, this one's really good. And you've got like Fantasia, who is an award winning singer, you know, doing her part. So, yeah, this one opens up Christmas Day. So this would be a nice thing to see on Christmas afternoon. All right. What happens if we don't want to to go out and brave the forty one degree wet weather, <laughs> and we want to just sit, I, <laughs> we want to sit home with the remote? What do we do then? I, I have to laugh. I remember the days of going up. It was like it was. 14. Well, wait a second, Greg. As the, I'm the rookie guy here, I already messed this up. How many Wiggly sandwiches are you going ah, to award to the color purple? We're going to give it four Wigglies because it it's a good movie. Uh, like I said, something that the family can go out and check out, you know, on Christmas day or even after and, uh, you know, and be able to enjoy. Yeah, there we go. No, you did good. You did good. I I was proud of my segue, but I screwed it up already. I mean, I was looking for a bag (laughs) of chips and a pickle there. All right. Tell me what we can watch on the couch at home. This one. I also really like, it's called the Gilded Age and it's on HBO and it takes place at the turn of the last century, right when the industrial revolution is beginning to start. So it's beginning to show, uh, the differences between people are all of a sudden these folks are getting rich, you know, who have the factories, uh, say auto companies, the banks and all like that, and how they begin to change in regards to the way they react with other people. Um, I, the main part that really sticks out for me, Chris, and this is what really made me like it, is the main family, their last name is Russell in the show. Mm. And also another family are the Bruces, and that was my mother's maiden name. So it's kind of like wow. I've got my entire family in this show. And and the main male character, his name is George Russell, and I had an Uncle George. And it's like somebody came along and followed our family and picked up all of our names. If there's a Gregory Bruce Russell in the next season, I think I've got a suit. I Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like there's a lawsuit brewing. You have a clip from that movie, <laughs> don't you? Yes, we do. Let's roll the, let's roll the clip from that Gilded Age. The old have been in charge since before the revolution until the new people invaded. Well, I'm new. I've only just arrived. You are my niece, and you belong to old New York. George Russell is a power in the land. Before long, you'll put money into his pocket with every train ticket you buy. I think we should know the Russell family. We do not move in the same circles. Mama, you are incorrigible. 
I take that as the highest praise. Well, how do you find your aunt? Seda is kind, but not clever. And Agnes is clever, but not kind. Well, there, there, there it is. I, it's hard to, it's hard to picture. It sounds, it sounds quite the, like the prancy little movement going on. Greg Russell, I think you're the, you're the power in, in our land. If you could only go see one of the, well, hold on back to the Rick Wiggly's thing. See here on we go. Yeah. How many Wiggly sandwiches are you giving the Gilded Age? Well, by this being a series, uh, you know, I give it uh, three because of course, you know, there's some episodes you're probably going to like a little bit more than others. So, hmm. yep. But guaranteed if also, if you like uh, Downton Abbey, cause from the same people, you'll sure. probably really get into this that's interesting i didn't i didn't realize that so how many episodes is there oh i think eight of in this season and it was announced yesterday that they will be back for a third season so evidently people are you know watching it and enjoying it sure all right so we have four wiggly sandwiches against three but the three wiggly sandwich um award e is one that you could binge over an entire weekend so i would call oh. them both equal Absolutely. As you see, if you've got nothing else to do this weekend, after you've got everything all wrapped up, yeah, kick back and enjoy the Russells and the Bruces in the Gilded Age. All right. As much as we enjoyed Greg Russell. Greg, thanks for joining the program today. We really appreciate it. Rieger, Danielle, there you go. You have your weekends cut out for you between going to see the the color purple and singing along. Well, I really can't sing along if you haven't heard it yet. But if you go a few times, you could sing along. Rieger, I can see you being a singer. Yeah, you don't want to see. You don't want to see or hear any of that. Dave's a great singer. Not he's at all. Lying. Not at all. No, no, he's really good. No. I can see Greg. Me. Listen, Greg is famous, and and Dave can sing. And Dave's going yeah. to a Chinese restaurant, right? On, what did you tell me, Dave? You're going to a Chinese restaurant on Christmas Eve because Christmas Eve. That's yes. one of the benefits of being a Jewish person. That's what we do. That's what we do to celebrate the uh, Christmas holiday. Yes. We go to the Chinese restaurant. I think we should be careful about compartmentalizing all Jewish people into those who want Chinese on Christmas Eve. But what you're saying is the ancillary benefit. Listen, it's Christmas. It's it's Chinese food. It's the movies. It's uh, the casino. Yeah. It's all those fun things. I think that the Chinese have absolutely done a phenomenal job in making us all so addicted to one particular food that we, we crave it. At least, you know, a couple times a month, you have to go get good Chinese. You know where they drop the ball entirely? Where? Dessert. Mm. I can see that. I can like see what, that. I mean, honestly, Danielle, what do you get for, for dessert from a Chinese restaurant? Uh, Fortune cookie. My dad. That's not dessert. My dad used <laughs> to get almond cookies. They're, mean, not, they're not very good. Still, almond cookies? Yeah, they're not. Think good. about that if you just if go across the globe real quick. I mean, the Italians give you um, sorbet and, and pistachio gelato, gelato and, right. and that espresso thing with the lady fingers and all that. And the French give you creme brulee and the Americans give you a brownie sundae the size of your head, right? So you go home with an elevated heart rate. What do the Chinese give you? It's a good question. I guess Silence. I never, I guess I never, I guess I never thought about it. I mean, culturally, I'm not, not, not to make fun of any of the Asian cultures because I, th- I find their food delectable. And I think it's one of the most exploratory and fun and inspiring cuisines there is. They just stopped. They just use all of their talent for the first 98% of the experience and then just be like, sorry, buddy, grab yourself a, a ho-ho on the way home. No, a fortune cookie. That's what you get. And a, and a little inspirational uh, message. I'm, I don't want to read that. I don't like platitudes. When I read a fortune cookie, it sounds like I'm listening to a politician. Oh. Okay. Oh. 
But right. to both of you in the WGR studio, A, thanks for having me in for the week. And thank you to all of you out there in Michigan. Merry Christmas and happy holidays to all of you. I hope we made Paul proud and bite his fingernails a little bit when I start trying to be president and things like that. And I'll be back in a couple of weeks anyway, because he's not uh, he's not back for a bit. We'll we see you in a couple of weeks, Chris. Then. Thanks. Enjoy it, you guys.